Welcome to the Pathologist Cut Podcast. This RCPA podcast explores the broad medical specialty of pathology and the critical role pathologists play in medicine and healthcare. I'm delighted to be talking today with Professor Ruta Gupta. Professor Gupta is the Senior Anatomical Pathologist at Royal Prince Alfred Hospital, Sydney. She is the lead pathologist with the Head and Neck Oncology and Thyroid Multidisciplinary Team at Chris O'Brien Lifehouse Cancer Centre. Professor Gupta holds an appointment at the Sydney Medical School, the University of Sydney. She's also a member of the Sydney Head and Neck Cancer Institute. Professor Gupta's research interests focus on improving diagnostic methods, genomics and survival outcomes for head and neck cancer. Professor Gupta, thank you for joining us for this podcast. Thank you for having me. Perhaps you could start off by explaining what head and neck cancer refers to. So head and neck cancers are actually many different types of cancers, which are grouped together only because of their location, as in they occur on the head and the neck. Now, because of the area of the body that they affect, they can have very significant effects or impact on the way a person can speak or eat if they have tongue cancer, on the way that they can swallow if they have cancer of the food pipe, on the way that they can hear if it is skin cancers, which is affecting the ears, or on the way they can see if it is, again, skin cancers occurring near the eyes. So in that sense, it is a diverse range of cancers caused by a variety of things and risk factors, which are all grouped together because of the location on the body. So what are the causes of head and neck cancer? Traditionally, the most frequent cause of head and neck cancer has been smoking and alcohol. Uh, However, uh, in Australia, the rate of smoking is uh, going down and we are seeing a real decline in smoking-associated head and neck cancer. Another cause of head and neck cancer are viruses. Epstein-Barr virus, which causes nasopharyngeal cancer, human papilloma virus, which causes cancers of the oropharynx, which is present right at the back of the throat. So the incidence of cancers, which is caused by viruses, such as human papilloma virus, is actually increasing, while that of the traditional head and neck cancer, which is caused by smoking and alcohol, is going down. So what age does head and neck cancer typically present? Again, it depends upon the type of cancer, and thus we have a wide age range. The traditional head and neck uh, cancer, which is associated with smoking or alcohol, is generally seen in older people much more common in men who've had a lifetime habit of smoking tobacco or having alcohol. On the other hand, the cancers which are associated with the viruses like the human papilloma virus, they tend to occur in much younger people. The patients tend to be in their early 40s to mid 50s. They generally do not have lifetime habits of smoking or alcohol. 
And then there is a third group that is coming up and which we are seeing more recently, and that is of mouth cancers in young women, the reason for which we don't really know currently. So what are the typical symptoms of head and neck cancer? Um, Again, the symptoms of head and neck cancer depend upon the cause. So in the older cohort with cancers associated with smoking or alcohol, it tends to be an ulcer on the surface of the tongue or the cheek or on the tissue around the teeth. And the ulcer bleeds or does not heal over a period of time. However, with the human papilloma virus caused cancers, it is generally a sore throat or a lump in the neck or ear pain. So the symptoms can be quite different. To think of it more simply, older population lifestyle risk factors like alcohol and smoking, they tend to present with ulcers in the mouth. Whereas younger patients, no risk factors like alcohol or smoking, generally driven by human papilloma virus, tend to present with a neck lump or a sore throat that refuses to go away after two weeks or ear pain that refuses to subside after two weeks. Courses are clearly um, changing, as you um, outlined. You mentioned HPV. What is HPV and how is it spread? So HPV or human papilloma virus, it is a diverse group of viruses. The family includes about 100 different members. The peculiarity of um, HPV is that it affects the interface between normal skin and wet surfaces. So in that sense, the mouth forms a very good interface between skin and wet surfaces. If we look at the evolutionary history of human papilloma virus, it is more ancient than the human race. If we look at the old texts from the Roman Empire from 25 AD, they had a classification system for diseases that we know today to be caused by human papilloma virus. So they had a classification system for warts. So they had good warts and bad warts. In that sense, HPV has been around through the centuries HPV does tend to affect about 90% of the population. Nearly all adults get the infection at some point in time, but most people clear the infection. It is a small proportion, about 6 to 7% of people, both men and women, who will not clear the human papilloma virus from their system. And it is these people who are at higher risk of developing cancers, either cancers of the head and neck or in case of women, cancers of the cervix. So how do you know if you've got HPV? So for women, those women who go through regular pap tests and pap test surveillance, they are specifically tested for presence of HPV and they will be aware whether they have had HPV infection and whether they have gone on to clear it or been treated for it. Unfortunately, there is no such system for men. 
in the context of cancers of the head and neck and of the tonsils most people will never know whether they have got hpv the most common risk factor is oral sex but having said that most people will catch and clear hpv only a small percent of people do not clear hpv and we currently do not have a reliable way of detecting these people particularly the men i'm actually i'm going off piece now but i'm intrigued at how we know that hpv existed before human beings how was that research done it's very ubiquitous apparently like our favorite coronavirus it started life in reptiles and birds and then came to the human beings and i guess they must have found it in the relics from the reptiles and birds of that era it's intriguing isn't it how we can establish mm. these things so how is head and neck cancer diagnosed and what's the role of the pathologist it depends upon the type of cancer uh if we are looking at the traditional head and neck cancer in older people with smoking and alcohol it will generally be picked up by their gp or their dentist that they have an ulcer in their mouth which is not healing they will take a biopsy of this ulcer and send it to the pathologists pathologists of course are the ones who make the diagnosis they are the ones who diagnose all cancers and that is the main role of a pathologist in making the diagnosis of a cancer in these patients in the context of patients who develop head and neck cancer due to human papilloma virus it is slightly different they generally present with a neck lump and they may go to their gp uh, because the neck lump or their sore throat is not resolving at which point they undergo a procedure called fine needle aspiration simply put what is done is we take a needle and syringe and like an injection except over here we are not injecting material into the patient but we are taking a few cells out from the lump in the neck we spread them on a slide we use different chemicals to make the cells obvious and we look at it under the microscope to make a diagnosis of uh, cancer if we do diagnose cancer the patient is then sent to a head and neck surgeon because the cancer that arises from human papilloma virus is generally hidden in the folds of the tonsils or it occurs right at the back of the tongue where the tongue is attached to the throat it can be very very difficult to see it and the surgeons will use tools like an endoscopic machine to look and take biopsies from the tonsils or the back of the tongue these biopsies are then sent to the pathologist and again the pathologist looks at them under the microscope and makes a diagnosis of cancer once that diagnosis of cancer is made the patient then undergoes surgery for head and neck cancers it is not only the removal of the tissue with cancer so it is not just taking out the tongue or the jaw or the tonsil but we also need to take out lymph glands from the patient's neck so these are big 
surgical procedures. They are often followed by admissions or stay into the ICU while the patient recovers. So the diagnosis of head and neck cancer is a very, very critical step to start the patient's cancer journey. It is the pathologist who informs every step of the patient's cancer management in the way of making a diagnosis so that a radical surgery can be performed, examining the tissues from the surgery to determine whether we need additional chemotherapy, additional radiotherapy. Now, we also have another thing like immunotherapy, which has come up for patients who recur or metastasize, and we can test whether the patient will respond or not in the pathology lab. So to my mind, a pathologist's role in the management of head and neck cancer in the patient's journey of head and neck cancer is very integral. They are the ones who decide what the battle plan should be. So like um, other areas of medicine, uh, the signs and symptoms are often very uh, non-specific for the clinical doctor point. And it takes the pathologist to say whether it is cancer and what type of cancer. Exactly. So what's the survival rate for these head and neck cancers, in particular the HPV cancer? So the HPV-associated cancer has a much better survival than the traditional head and neck cancer associated with smoking and alcohol. Uh, the HPV-associated cancer responds well to both surgery as well as radiotherapy and chemotherapy. Even the HPV-associated cancers can be further stratified by the patient's smoking habits. So the HPV cancers do better in general. However, non-smokers with HPV cancers tend to do much better than smokers with HPV cancer. The HPV vaccination program provides free HPV vaccination to both boys and girls at school. How important is this vaccine? Uh, to my mind, it is the single most important step to prevent both head and neck cancer associated with HPV as well as cervical cancer in women. So, if a simple thing like a vaccine or an injection shot can prevent cancer and its associated treatment, that is totally worth doing. Cancer treatments are not something that should be taken lightly, particularly for the head and neck. The surgeries are devastating. People lose their ability to speak, to swallow the following radiotherapy also has significant side effects and a vaccine that can prevent or protect one from these kind of cancers and their treatment is something that should be done by everyone. Thank you. Okay, to finish, everyone has to answer this uh, question. Um, what would you say to anyone considering a role in pathology? I would love to answer that question as an anatomic pathologist, and I would uh, very much like to welcome them to the most exciting uh, medical specialty ever. Um, I may be a little biased, but I think pathologists, because they make the diagnosis 
are very important for all patient management. They make an impact on a patient every 10 seconds of their working life. To put it in perspective, there are thousands of types of diseases. We might think of cancer as one disease, but just going back to head and neck cancer, this is a cancer that affects 10 different sites on the head and neck. At each site, we can have 20 different types of cancers, all of which have different treatment and different outcome. So it is the pathologist who actually recognizes which of the 200 type of cancers the patient has and then provides information on which all of their further management is based. It's very exciting um, detective work, puzzle solving, um, looking at a lot of clinical information, looking at the patient's tissues. A pathologist actually looks at the tissues and provides the answers. In that sense, it is also very fulfilling, not only in terms of the impact we can make on the patient at hand, but also on the future generations because the tissues provide an avenue for translational research. Thus, it is one of the few medical specialties that can drive practice-changing research and help improve patient care in the future. And all of this can be done in a way that is compatible with sane work-life balance. So what's not to like? You are a consultant's consultant. You're providing advice to all of the surgeons and the medical and the radiation oncologists and transplant physicians. At the same time, you can talk with research scientists, propel research and treatment uh, identification further. So I think I think it is one of the most exciting careers to have. Mm. And most of us have been lucky enough to work with wonderful pathologists. So they would be joining a wonderful community as well. I absolutely agree. It's a wonderful career. It's very collegiate and it's very enjoyable. And you, you end up uh, huge contributors to the healthcare of this country. So uh, thank you so much for talking with us today. It's been an absolute pleasure. Um, you've given us a wonderful outline of head and neck cancer, which is an increasingly frequent cancer in our community. And thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. You have been listening to the Pathologist Cut podcast with RCPA President, Dr. Laurie Bott. To learn more about pathology, check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.